All right, we continue this morning our series called Move, where we're uh, moving from different areas, but the whole point is some familiar narratives with some new insights, some passages perhaps you've read before and went, uh, I don't get it, or I get some surface meaning, just to give us another insight into passages. Now, we're doing that by using something called a remez, which links what's, what is going on to something in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. So we're going to do this uh, also next week for Palm Sunday, and so you're going to see how that connects, because why, why do they do what they do on Palm Sunday if it doesn't connect them to something in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament? So this is something they always use to try to connect what they learned growing up and why do I think this is good for us? Because I think we need to understand the deepness and richness of Scripture. And that's just a journey for all of us to go on at some point. And so let me give you a quote from somebody uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago who said something about Scripture, okay? Scripture is like a river again, broad and deep, shallow enough here for a lamb to go wading, but deep enough there for the elephant to swim. The whole point is it doesn't matter where you are in your journey with Christ. That scripture will speak to you. And it doesn't matter. It's not like one, one, one part is bad and one part is good. Okay, that stupid lamb. Why is it in shallow water? Okay, that, we think that way too often. Forget all that thought. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters that you're in it is the whole point of this quote. And it doesn't matter if you're just, you know, just waiting in the shallow end learning what it is, and I don't know where the books are, and I'm trying to figure all of this out, and, and where does stuff fit? Great. Start your journey there, be in Scripture. And it doesn't matter if you've been in it for years and years and years. It is deep enough for elephants to go swimming. It is so deep that you'll, you'll discover meaning after meaning. It'll get richer and deeper the longer you read it. It's not a book you're going to get bored with. It's a book that you're going to find more and more that, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. Look at that. Look how deep this is for me to connect in different parts of uh, my life. And I just love when God does this, so I want to help you experience that as well. Now, I've called this so many different things. I've probably changed the title on this three or four times. Okay? You, you, might, you might come up with another one because I'm not sure what we're, what, what's the best thing that we're moving to. And you'll catch on by the end of the parable, maybe. Uh, is it leaving this idea of we got to be fair and we got to be equal um, to understanding just what is just, what is God called just? Or is it generosity? Because you're going to see that quite often in the scripture. But everything centers around a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. And maybe you've read this parable before. I'm like, what's he talking about? I don't know. Uh, it's it just sounds kind of weird. It's at the end of the parable, everybody's going to get mad, okay? I'm just going to warn you. Everybody's like, oh, that's not fair, okay? Can I tell you, my third, fourth, and fifth graders on Wednesday night, uh, Darlene and Callie know all about this. If I do anything that seems a little unfair, oh my. I think they've been taught in their home it's the 11th commandment, the one that, you know, uh, Moses broke off and it didn't get put in the Bible. Thou shalt be fair, okay? Because if you're a little bit unfair, oh my goodness, do, do you hear about it? Do you hear about it? And so uh, I, I know it exists, and I know we all are kind of programmed to think that way, but I want you to understand that what God gives us is supposed to be used. He is a generous God. 
I love the songs we sang this morning. What a powerful name. How great is our God. I hope you caught on to that this morning, the power and greatness of God, that when we open a parable like this, we understand, okay, what is our great God trying to communicate? What is, who is he? And what does he want to do? And how does he want to intersect into my life? So here we go. Matthew chapter 20. And I'm probably going to move through this parable pretty quick and help us understand some things along the way. For the kingdom of heaven is like, you read these all the time. If we were in Luke, it'd be the kingdom of God. And it all depends on the writer, what they're going to say. The kingdom of heaven is like. So this is a parable that's going to help us understand a little bit of what God is like. It is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, so they made an agreement, you're going to pay me this much at the end of the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So now they go off into work. When it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out again, saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. Do you notice everything now, after the first one, where they've agreed upon what the wage is, everything else is going to be God's decision, which is ultimately who's part of the story, on what is given. This is really important. You, you get this, okay? Because it's not about, it's, it's I made the promise to the first, and now everybody after that is going to get whatever I think is right. Not whatever I think is fair, which we, would, which we would have this whole definition of, and your definition might be different than mine. It's not what's fair. It's whatever is right, whatever is just. Here he goes. So they went out. When he went out again, about noon. So notice he's going out about every three hours. And three o'clock that afternoon, he did the same thing. So uh, this is just the way the Jewish world works, okay? Nine, noon, three, think three-hour segments at times. That, that's what they would have done, and he hires the same people, okay? And again, he promises what? I will give them what is right. And about 5 o'clock, so, so now everything's going to end at 6. Just think about that. Everything's going to end at 6. Their day is going to end at 6 o'clock. He went out and found others standing around and said to them, Why are you standing here all day without work? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you go and work in the vineyard too. Which means, okay, they're going to have what? One hour. One hour. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers and pay them their wages starting with the last hired until the first. Now, this is important because nobody would know unless he works in this way. Nobody would know. If he just takes the first person and pays them, nobody's going to know what happens. But this is not what the point is. The point is to get us to think that God's going to do something else, and so he's going to change things up. Okay? So just imagine, you've been in this vineyard all day. All day. You are sick and tired of being in the vineyard picking grapes. You're just tired of it. Okay? It is over. It is done. It is, this is, just, just think mid-July, uh, Iowa. 90-something degrees with our great old heat index of 106, okay? Just think that. Let that sink in, and you've been doing that all day. And now somebody comes in at 5 o'clock with one hour left and works. 
Now he's going to reverse things, and he's going to bring the people who had that one hour in and pay them. And when those hired at 5 o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. Uh-oh. Okay? Ooh, what's going on here? I mean, they only worked an hour. Then he worked an hour. What on earth? Okay, that's not how we do things. Okay, what, what, what's, what's going on here? So, so you're going to see there's an automatic expectation because he's paid the per- person who only worked one hour the whole day's wage. Okay, whatever he agreed for the first person at 6 in the morning, okay, who's been working for 12 hours, let that sink in, the same wage as that person. This is going to seem really unfair. You, you're, not, you're, going to, you're going to be questioning a lot of things, which is good, okay? You're going to have a lot of questions. You should going into this because Jesus wants his disciples, and ultimately Matthew records this for us. He wants us to know something about who God is and what God is like that maybe you haven't considered before. And when those hired first came, They thought they would receive more. Of course they did. Why? Because we're fair. And if, man, if he gave them the whole thing, man, maybe he's paying us double. This is going to be awesome, okay? And that doesn't happen. But each one also received the standard wage. And when they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, these last fellows worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardship in the burning heat of the day. Can I just translate? That's not fair. That's not fair. Okay. For every parent in the room who's ever heard that, uh, for every teacher who's ever heard that, for every person who's ever heard that, um, and, and kids, I don't know, they, they got the stuff down, okay? Because I'm telling you, I get caught in all the time, okay? I'm always unfair. You're unfair. You're unfair. And wait till camp this year. Oh, okay. Then they all cry out, oh, you're so unfair, okay? Uh, so this is, this is their cry. This is totally unfair. You can't do this. You can't pay them. They worked an hour. We worked in the burning heat of the day, which is, by the way, just a phrase they use in the Jewish world because of their weather and climate. They're like, wait a minute, we did all the work. We did all the work. It was the hottest part of the day. We did all this work. This is just not fair. So what happens? The landowner replies to them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. I'm not being unfair. I know you're just screaming, it's not fair, but I'm not being unfair. Didn't you agree to work for the standard wage? Wait a minute, did we have an agreement that when the day ended at 6 o'clock, after your 12 hours, didn't we have an agreement this was going to happen? Okay, now, take what is yours and go. If I want to give to the last man the same as I gave to you, am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? There's a really hard question. In other words, if we start translating this as, do I really want to tell God how to be God? How many times have you done that? I've been caught doing it several times, right? Don't we want to tell God how to be God sometimes? God, 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 you got this wrong, okay? Now, now. Let me give you a little lesson. We don't do this, God. God, if you want to be God, this is what you should do. This is how we operate. This is how you should be treating us. And you should be paying us more than everybody else. You can't give them the same amount. And he's going, wait a minute, isn't it mine? Aren't I allowed to do with it what I want? 
to do with it? Or are you envious because I am generous? Oh, I don't like that statement. Am I envious of people that God is generous to? Oh, there's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Do I become envious because God chooses to be generous to somebody? And I don't like it that he's generous. I don't think it's fair that he's generous. I don't think that person should get what I should really have. I don't think that person should be allowed to get to get that thing that I've been praying for. They don't even know God. They don't even seem to follow him. What, what the world? God, what are you doing? Is that what happens to us? Have I become envious because God is generous? Right? That's not a comfortable question. It's okay. It's okay. You can be uncomfortable today. It's okay. All right? It, it's not a comfortable question. It's one you're probably not, not like the answer to. So our, our Danism exists. You probably don't want to ask that question, okay? Because you might not like the answer to it. So you might stay away from that one. But you might think about that. So the last will be first and the first last. So what is Jesus' point? What is Jesus' point? After all, at the end of this parable going, what is he doing? This seems so unfair. This doesn't seem right. But he's, but he's being just. He's not being fair. What is his point in all this? Okay? This is really important. His point is God is generous. God is generous. And I hope to point out this morning that you and I are all the recipients of God's generosity. We are all the recipients of God's generosity. What we don't like is we want more. And, and we don't get more. We don't have more. That's what we'd really like. But we are all the recipients of God's generosity. God is generous. And because of his generosity, he will be to us unfair. I'm going to tell you, in our definition of fairness, because he's generous, he is going to appear at times unfair. Unfair. And by the way, to the first audience of this parable, he appeared the same way. And let me tell you why, okay? Because he wants everybody to be into the kingdom, even it's the last moment of their life. You want to talk about what, what disturbs us? I don't know how many years ago it was. I mean, I got the question at Tri-State. I got the question here. I mean, this seems so unfair because the, the message was that this serial killer came to know Christ. Well, did, God can't let him into heaven. That was everybody's reaction. Everybody was appalled because we're like, oh. okay, well, there's a separate part of heaven he can go to and kind of get punished for a while. I mean, we were trying to do all sorts of uh, biblical gymnastics here, trying to fit this because this didn't fit very well, okay? We struggled with this. But do you understand that this is how generous God is? And, and we ought to understand that because he did it to the guides next to him on the cross, that should, that should make sure we understand this all the time because he already did it. He'll do it again, over and over again. And for some of us, that is a huge problem. It is. It's a huge problem. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to wrestle with it at times. We don't know how to make sense of it. God is generous. That's how we make sense of it. That's how we make sense of it. God is generous. And he's generous to the fault at times that us in our Western mindset thinking is going to appear unfair. And we might not know what to do with it. Now, let me tell you what it meant to them in their context. 
what the disciples would have heard, what the people around him would have heard if there was others that day. What they would have heard when they would have heard this, this idea that, wait a minute, we've, we've, been, we've been going all day, and th- this person comes in at the last hour. This, this is a, th- th- something wrong here. Let me tell you what they would have heard. Okay? They would have gone back to Isaiah 61. And this is what, what one of the things they might have understood from that parable. Foreigners will take care of your sheep, and foreigners will work in your field, and, well, here it is, in your vineyards. They'll work in your vineyards. Now, the one's written to who? The Jewish people. And he's saying what? Guess what? There's going to be foreigners that work in your vineyards. And here's Jesus telling a parable about people working in the vineyards. You will be called the Lord's priests, servants of our God, and you will enjoy the wealth of nations and boast about the riches you receive from them. And instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will rejoice over the land they receive. Yes, they will possess a double portion in their land and experience lasting joy. Do you understand what they would have heard? Wait a minute. Foreigners in the vineyard. Wait a minute. Aren't we God's chosen people? This is what the Jewish people would have heard. Aren't we God's chosen people? That, that means us. We're, we're number one. Other people get let in. Okay, this was their struggle. Jesus was setting them up for what the kingdom of God was going to do and invited all of us, all of you watching online, okay, we, I, 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 don't know if I don't know if any person here who's traced their heritage back and found that they're Jewish. So since we're not a part of that, do you realize this whole parable, if it wasn't for the generosity of God, you and I are not included. We're not. And Jesus was trying to prepare them for this. Do you understand? I'm going to include everybody. And you're not going to like it. You're going to have problems with this. You're going to struggle with this. Because I'm going to include all sorts of people, even those nasty ugly Gentiles, that you, that you don't want to enter their homes. I, you gotta, you got to read sometimes Peter's reaction. It's like, I can't go into a house of a Gentile. They have cooties. I don't know what they have, but they have something. I can't go into their house. You don't understand what will happen to me if I go into their house. That's, that's where Peter was, and, and God's, why are you calling them unclean? No, I'm going to reach them. I'm going to reach all sorts of people because that's who I am. I started with you at 6 a.m. You've worked in my vineyards the entire day. And if I want to pull people in all day to help in my vineyard, to be a part of my kingdom, to be in my family, oh, I'm going to do it over and over and over and over again. And, And his call to those people listening there today on that day was, are you going to be on board or you can sit there going, oh, no, I don't know, I don't want these Gentiles in. I don't want these people in. I don't want those people in. Because Matthew constantly, and you will pick this up throughout his, throughout his gospel, he's constantly showing us that Jesus is constantly after the outsider, the person that was outside, whether it was the person that was unclean, as we looked at several weeks ago with the lady with the issue of blood, she was unclean. She's outside the synagogue, outside the temple. She's not allowed to do anything. And he's reaching out to her. He's reaching out to lepers. He's reaching out to the, the pagans in the Decapolis. As we heard a couple weeks ago, he is constantly reaching out to the outsider. 
constantly picking up people throughout the day. Matthew sees that happening, and this parable is all about this is how generous God is. He's just going to go after people time and time and time and time again. Yes, and for some of those, that time is at the end of their life. It is. And you and I have to wrestle with, what do we think about God in those moments? What do we think about God? Do we actually have that type of generosity? Because I'm concerned that if all we're operating with is trying to be fair, there are times we're not going to be generous. There's times that we're not going to be very just because we're trying to just have this Americanized definition of, of being fair. Fair, 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 fair. And it's keeping us from being generous. It's keeping us from showing God's generosity because we're too worried about being called unfair. What if we just started worrying about being generous like God is generous with us? Now, I think there's lots of ways you can walk away from this parable today and make some application, okay? So let me try to make a couple that I have made, I would, I would ask you to make your own, really. Absorb these if you'd like to, but make your own. Find your own application in your life of what does this look like that God has been generous to me? What, what things has God been generous in that I should be celebrating God's generosity to me? Okay? And this is the whole point. Do we leverage God has done and where we live for him. So I'll go back to that in a second. So I have told you uh, probably at different points my story. My grandma led me to Christ when I was six years old. Okay? So there we go. That's the closest picture I can find, I think. My, my, I, I, and I've warned my sister. Okay? She's been, she's been warned and she saw the picture. Okay? She's still going to be mad. It's okay. So this is the closest picture I have to that moment, okay, to that moment of my life. Just just understand how young I was. For some of you, you share the same story. You were young, and you started following Jesus. Now, open up my news feed in Facebook this week, and I have seen this graphic over and over and over again. How many of you have seen it? 75% of kids leave the church. And then it talks about, wait, 25, forget 25% state. That's a terrible number. That's a ter- three out of four. It means I got to sit there on Wednesday night and go, one, two, three, out, keep one. One, two, three, out, keep one. And I'm going, oh, my word, that is a horrible number. That's a horrible number. And my question is, and I know lots of things happen. Is every church perfect? No. Are any churches perfect? No. Do we all make mistakes? Yes. What are we doing that God's generosity to us as a kid, that we would know him early and walk in a different path, is not celebrating when we get older and we just walk away? What's going on? I think that, that, that is something I have wrestled with this week. What kept me? Well, what, what, what was I tempted to do? Where was I tempted to leave? There's a lot of this going on, 75%. For some of you, that's true. For some of you, you left for a while, came back, whatever it was. 
How are we missing the generosity of God that we would know him early in our life? Because I'm telling you, I could just bring people up here this morning. That's not their story. Their story is they didn't know God that young. They made a lot of stupid, dumb mistakes that they'd love to go back and hit erase, and they can't. They can't. Can't do it. Can't do it. They knew they came to know Christ later in life, whether that's as a teenager, whether that's in their 20s or 30s, whenever that happened to be. Okay, they don't get to leverage that generosity that God showed us as a kid. They missed that. So why are we taking that generosity and throwing it away is, is one of my questions because I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I just know I saw that stat, and that's where this parable kind of hit me this week. Where am I missing the generosity of God? And there's lots of people who miss it because they've known God as a kid, and for some reason they walked away. Don't walk away, by the way, over questions, because you should have tons of them. You should have tons of them. You should have lots of questions. Questions are not a sign that you doubt God, you doubt his goodness, you doubt his generosity. Throw all that out. That, that, that is the whispers of the enemy trying to get us, oh, I'm not supposed to ask questions. No, you should ask lots of questions. Lots of questions. Is that because the church tends to try to offer pat answers? Maybe. Maybe. Taking your serious question, just, I don't know, made up some cheesy little Christian saying and thrown it at it. That happens at times. We can be honest about that. And so that, that's allowed you to not know how to process things. Life's hard it's difficult. It's challenging. It is. You should have tons of questions about Scripture. You should read stuff and go, that doesn't make sense. I don't get that. I don't get what that person did. I don't get why this happened. You should ask tons of questions. And asking questions has nothing to do with your status with the Heavenly Father. Nothing to do with that. Because you should be asking them. You should be wrestling with the text. You should be like, I know what God's trying to do here. You should be doing that. So do we leverage what God has done and where we live for him? In my second example, where do we live? I live in Iowa. I live in this place called the United States of America. We have it so well, we get to choose every Sunday morning whether or not we want to go to church or not go to church. Right? We, we have all this, we, all this available to us to, to get in cars and, and, and to drive, to have all everything available to us so that we could come together and gather together to worship. Just take a small sample of the rest of the world, and that is not the story. That is not the story. And so how do we leverage that generosity? Uh, well, you've probably seen the numbers on church attendance. They're terrible. That's how we leverage that. They're just down. They're just, how are we missing that? That we live in such a great country, we can leverage that generosity of God. Because according to Peter, said God chooses the places where men live. Paul said the same thing. God chooses that. And, man, what a gift. What a gift. And I don't want to ruin that gift. I don't want to neglect that gift. I don't want to look lightly at that gift because that's not the story of the rest of the world, that they have that same gift. So, final statement. How are you leveraging your faith for the good of others 
to also follow Jesus. Because, listen, some people you may invite over and over again. Some people may talk to over and over again. And it could be at that last hour they come to know Christ. That is a win as much as anything else is. Because in the kingdom of God, God loves to be generous. He loves to be generous. And if all of us would stop for a moment, we would understand how generous God has been to us. We would, we would just kind of get that. So in order to try to get that, just a little bit, a, a fraction of an inch that I can offer today, is we get to, first Sunday of the month, take communion together. That perhaps holding the cup and the bread will remind us, because we need reminding all the time, that God has been so generous to us, so generous to us, that we can be forgiven, our, our, our sins can be erased. He loves us. He's done all of this for us. And perhaps that would just remind us, oh, God has been so generous to me. He's been so generous to me that I should be leveraging that generosity for the good of others and hoping and praying and doing what I can that others would follow Jesus as well. So let me pray. And then um, uh, two of our elders, Dan and Dave, are going to come up. They'll be up here, and you can come up, and uh, you'll take two cups. One is bread, one has uh, juice in it, and then we will eat and drink together uh, as, as a body and celebrate all that God has done for us. And I just want you to hold it, remembering the generosity of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, if we have a confession to make this morning, it's we have been envious of your generosity. When we thought somebody got something else that wasn't given to us, we screamed unfair. And we forgot your generous God. We've wrestled at times with people getting into the kingdom at the last part of their life. Help us to see that as your generosity. That it does not have to do with anything concerning us. It is that you are a generous God. And I pray today as we take the cup and the bread, we would remember you are a generous God. You didn't have to do anything that you did. But you came. You died in our place, rose again for our salvation. And then you made sure that that good news was spread to the entire world. Gentiles were included. And that's us. Didn't have to be, but you are a generous God. So may we remember that today as we take the bread in the cup, as we reflect and we remember, as we take and eat together and celebrate what you have done. We do so asking you to work in a great way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.